0: Welcome to the weekly squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Chiller. A roundup of interesting tidbits from the internet that caught my attention every week. This week is a little tech heavy. Uh, I don't know, just uh, what caught my eye this week. And there's no interview, so a short show just of some Lincoln roundups. And I'm arranging some new interviews as we speak. So expect more of those soon. First, I've got two articles that are just a collection of tools, a collection of tools that you might be interested in downloading and playing with. The first one is on opensource.com from Dan Baker. I have been trying for some time to teach myself natural language processing. Uh, I've got a couple of Twitter bots that some of you may have found, which are basically just uh, random string generators, and I'd really love to make them smarter with uh, natural language processing and... Um, also, uh, I've been thinking of a, a couple of generative fiction projects that would also use natural language processing. So I've been slowly trying to learn the techniques and understand some of the tools. So this is a really nice tool on opensource.com of 12 open source natural language processing tools. And these are split down into languages. So Python is overrepresented as always, which is common in natural language processing. I guess there's a few tools here that anyone who's familiar with the, with the space would probably know maybe a few others too. And there's also some tools for Node and for Java 12 that you might like to plug into your language of choice and um, join me on learning natural language processing too. Next, and I definitely will reassure you here that I'm not being paid to advertise this. We have no ads on the show at the moment. Um, I have for some time on my Mac and my iPad, although I don't use iPad too much for work, Been using a great email application called Spark from a company called Readle. Readle, quite sure how they pronounce it. Um, I have really liked this. I've tried lots of alternatives to Apple Mail, and never really found anything that was worthwhile enough. Or they were always just sort of uh, web interfaces, not really native applications. I like proper native applications. And I came across Spark. Not only is Spark as good as a mail replacement, it's also really good for collaboration. You have shared inboxes, you can share drafts, you can discuss an email before sending it, you can delegate emails, you can connect to various uh, to-do management services and all sorts of things. Um, and on the plan that I'm on, and I have one other collaborator, uh, it's free. Uh, but the main piece missing for me was an Android version. I use an Android phone. And I signed up to their tell-me-when-you're-going-to-release list, not really expecting to hear from a while. And Spark for Android got released. It's still early. There's still a few things that are odd and not very Android-y. But these guys are iOS and Mac developers first and foremost, so it gives them time, I suppose. But I am super pleased to finally have it. Uh, And a lot of other people are also giving it rave reviews. And I reached out to the creators on Twitter just to say thank you, and discovered they are a Ukrainian company, which uh, anyone who's been following my writing would also know that I regularly, well, I don't regularly write about Ukraine, I've only done it twice, but I'm a fan of Eastern Europe and a lot of companies over there, and I recently have written a few articles about Ukraine. So it was quite interesting to hear that uh, they are from that area. Um, I think the founder is from Odessa. Um, I guess they have teams in Ukraine and in America, but great application if you are a mixed household or a mixed office then now apart from windows support you are mostly covered so great to hear now a slight detour into well we're staying in the technical space but uh, something slightly more esoteric shall we say this is from a blog called Klagnut, which is the blog of richard rutter richard rutter i'm not sure he talks about being in austria so i'm feeling like i should pronounce that the german way and this is an article entitled All You Need to Know About Hyphenation in CSS. And I find this quite interesting because I actually started a lot of my computing career in desktop publishing. So did learn through Quark Express and then latterly InDesign about hyphenation and typography. or oh, not in any great detail. I wasn't a designer, I was doing tech support, but I learned about it. I learned a lot about fonts and ligatures and kerning and all these sorts of things. In the early days of CSS, you didn't really have much control over this, or I guess you felt like you didn't didn't need it maybe I'm not sure. but CSS actually has now really good support for all sorts of typography, hyphenation, and other fine-grained controls. And I even recently discovered a Unicode symbol for a non-breaking hyphen, uh, which was very, very obscure. And if you look at it rendered next to a normal hyphen, they look identical but do very different things. The non-breaking uh, doesn't break a hyphenated word over a line, whereas the normal one does, which may be niche but has its uses, as we discovered. And this is a wonderful article talking about how to kind of control hyphenation in CSS to get, I guess, the sorts of text layouts that we used to spend hours playing with in Quark and InDesign. So it was a bit of a trip down memory lane for me, even though it was into a different domain. So if typography is your thing, if fine-grained web design is your thing, if you dream of the days when developers did what uh, designers told them to do and not the other way around, then you may enjoy this article. And now my typical uh, little trip down to blockchain corner, an article on Hacker Noon from Noam Levinson called Did the Cryptocurrency Revolution Fail? And I must admit, I I mean, I work in the space, but I'm always sceptical, always pragmatic. I think that's the best way to be with technology crazes and fads and trends. But articles like this sometimes are a little biased. Um, They're often written by uh, fans of a technology and they kind of use the title to draw you in and then really try to convince you that, uh, well, it didn't fail. So maybe maybe the title is slightly misleading because the writer definitely tries to put a positive spin on things. But there are some interesting numbers. There are actual numbers and statistics that you can uh, read through and sort of make your own mind up about whether you think cryptocurrency and blockchain has been a success over the past year. And I suppose it's interesting because some of the numbers that uh, he uses in the article seem high, but in the grand scheme of things are they? So that's something to bear in mind. They're higher when compared to previous years of blockchain and cryptocurrency, but are but are they high compared to things like Kubernetes or Docker or other more traditional, in quote marks, open source projects. Have a read, and I'd love to hear your comments on whether you think this article justifies the the title, the leading title, or not. Has it failed? Is it failing? Or is it now in a growth year, and the hype cycle is over? I would love to hear your feedback. Um, And I'll tell you how you can give me that at the end of the show. Next, I am going to lump a bunch of articles sort of loosely into the the tech ethics category. Not necessarily ethics, but looking at the other sides of tech, looking at tech, uh, should they have done that, Um, looking at how we can improve tech, things like that. And I guess I'm doing this because myself and Nicholas Balsato of the Good Technology Collective are starting our new tech and ethics newsletter. In the next week, um, you can go along and sign up right now. At the moment, the best place to do that is com slash newsletters, and you should see the list of uh, newsletters I'm currently publishing, and you can sign up there, and we'll start getting things out very soon. And articles like this, that I don't always mention on the this main Weekly Squeak show, but sometimes do, will be appearing there. We're going to be mostly just uh, selecting articles we found interesting and once a week, there will be a newsletter and the feed will sort of constantly update. So you can find a curated list there, basically. And we may turn that into a podcast at some point. Who knows? First, uh, an article that caught my eye on the Angel List blog. Um, an article about Drupal from Angela Byron, the community lead there, or WebChick, if you are familiar with Drupal. I used to be very heavily involved in the Drupal community. Not so much anymore. Not at all anymore, actually. But um, there's been a lot of criticism of its community, and whilst this article is mostly positive about the Drupal community, there have certainly been high-profile falling outs. But the community has kept going nonetheless, um, and has mostly been very encouraging uh, in terms of diversity, but also in terms of recognising the efforts of non-coders. And they've managed to do this because they have their own sort of platform that builds upon the typical tools like Um, GitHub and and Git repositories to be able to recognize the efforts of community managers, of documentation people, of people who organize talks and sort of marketing efforts and things like that. And I do remember them having this discussion about how that was going to happen when I was involved in the community. It's good to see that it is somewhat paying off. Uh, and having results. And I guess some of the criticisms of the community has often been that the same people stay in the kind of positions of responsibility or of power, in quote marks, for quite some time. And Webchick, Angie is no exception. She has been there for quite some time, as have some of the other people. And a lot of them often work for the same companies. I guess this is a double-edged sword. Having the same people means you can start to build consistency and kind of get things happen, but it also means you can get a little bit uh, maybe blinkered in your thinking. Not sure. Uh, I guess at the moment for Drupal it's mostly working. I would also argue that the project and the platform itself is maybe not as big as it used to be. Uh, I don't have any numbers to support that, but just on what you what you hear and the general trend of, of CMSs. And she recommends a few tips that have worked in, uh, in her experience. One is uh, a code of conduct, which a lot of projects now have, and if you don't, it's so easy to, to at least add, then I don't see any reason why you shouldn't. Of course, enforcing a code of conduct is a different conversation, and that's harder, so it's worth bearing in mind that if you're going to implement one, you should think about how you're actually going to enforce it should you need to as well. Then creating a diverse group of leaders, and the Drupal project definitely has that, and this could be elevating people to a position of responsibility for a subject that maybe you hadn't considered uh, needed as much help as it did or you hadn't considered making a priority before. but if someone is very passionate about something, they can be the best person for overall leadership and not just the uh, the sort of individual subject they're interested in. And she also has a few other tips there. so I'd recommend you pop over to the Angelist blog. And have a look, and I must admit, that was an interesting place to see the post as well. AngelList is typically kind of startup and VC focused, and it was an interesting place to see an article like this. Next is an article from Angela Chan on The Verge. And this, uh, I I started discussing this with some friends in a private chat, and we got some interesting opinions, actually. This is an article on uh, prisons in Finland, and prisons in Scandinavia are notoriously progressive, so I'm not surprised that they're trying it here first. Inmates in prisons are training artificial intelligences as part of prison labour. This is, it's strange, I guess it's, it's not really much different from Mechanical Turk or something like that. Um, the conversation around forced labour in prisons is a, is a difficult one, whether you think it's uh, something that should happen or not but if it is going to happen is it better to give people skills that are going to be more useful to them outside of prison life as opposed to sort of physical labor or the the kind of labor that prisoners are often given are there even any good jobs in training ais apart from things like mechanical Turk it's sort of interesting and this is i guess it should be added that this is still so very much a trial project It's only really one company trying this with a handful of prisons in Finland. It's not a widespread activity yet. But it's an interesting discussion to have, actually. If someone is in prison and has time to contribute something in the form of work, A, should they? B, can they do the kind of digital menial work, things like this? Or should it always just be physical menial work? It's an interesting discussion. Depending on what they're training, are they going to colour the uh, AI biases? This is another interesting aspect that isn't really covered in the article, but um, is having prisoners training in artificial intelligence a good idea? Are we going to have artificial intelligences with certain opinions on things that maybe mainstream society doesn't accept or not? So, yeah, this is a topic I'd love to hear your opinions on. Yet again, I will let you know how at the end of the show. And wrapping up this little section are two articles from Wired. The first is from Clive Thompson. On coders, I like like the word to use, so I'm going to quote them, primeval urge to kill efficiency everywhere. And I certainly noticed this a lot. I I know a lot of coders who will eat and drink uh, food replacements so they don't have to think about eating, wear the same clothes all the time, so they don't have to think about that and all these strange little quirks that they can focus on the task in hand. And I guess I would also argue that sometimes that task in hand is not really that important, but it is to them. Where this stems from, we could argue endlessly about programmers and their uh, mental makeup maybe, but let's save that for another conversation. And this is a fascinating article about uh, a coder called Jason Ho and his efforts to streamline everything and the ways he says algorithms and spreadsheets to analyse almost every decision in life and how much time should be spent on it, is it worth pursuing, et cetera, et cetera. To the point of extreme in cases, um, I could see some of the benefits of this. I think you'd have to have a very understanding partners and in the the space of the article the partner he does have doesn't stay with him So, <laughs> so maybe they had enough. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, I, I find this aspect of coders and some of the coders I work with quite interesting. I do it myself a little bit, I must admit. Not to these levels of extremity. Is it healthy? Does it mean that a programmer reduces every kind of decision to an algorithm? And not all decisions can be reduced in algorithm. Some decisions involve humans who don't always match algorithms. Things like this. Uh yeah, I would, I would argue that attitudes like this sometimes lead to some of the uh, strange programming decisions that we sometimes uh, find ourselves exposed to. And I've covered many of these, and I'm about to cover another one, maybe, in my next article. And uh, maybe the previous article was somewhat related as well. So yeah, is... Utmost efficiency, actually a good thing. Is an efficient life, is efficient society a good thing? Or is it cold? Is it calculated? Is it not reflecting the the multifaceted messiness of humanity? Again, answers on a postcard to the usual details, please. And finally, another article on Wired from Alex Palmer. Um, I guess rounding off this subject a little bit into... Areas where programmers are involved without, without actually thinking about is it a good idea about the, the lives they are ruining? This is this uh, trend that is much more common in the US of robocallers. And I think I also mentioned some time ago the two part podcasts from Reply All and Tracing Down. A particular, she wasn't really robocalls, it was more um, call centers in India. They have also covered robocalls, so you can hear some more around the topic there. It's not really a problem we get here in Germany that much. It's much more prevalent in the US. Um, But this uh, is an expose, and it claims to be part one of two. I'm not sure what part two is going to be about yet, where they uh, dig into finding the -the behind-the-scenes story of a very prevalent robocall um, organiser. I don't know. Svengali? I'm not quite sure what to call them. A particular fellow named Adrian Abramovich, um, and the the investigation was mostly the the responsibility of um, uh, a staff member at TripAdvisor who was sick of whose company was sick of fake calls, fake reviews in the name of the company. But it turned out that the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission in the US, had also been doing similar investigations, and so their research overlapped. And how. As is typical, it was a human human engineering. Um, members of staff from certain robocall places in Mexico were posting pictures of themselves in their offices in Facebook and things like that. So, you know, as always, the weakest link is typically a human doing something they hadn't thought about and someone is able to join the dots. It's an interesting uh, dig into it. It also kind of has a lot of uh, aspects of thinking about. So Adrian um, himself complains that he's not really been given um space to give his side of the story whatever that side may be <laughs> um i guess here we have the argument of i was just doing my job but uh, i guess in a job like this you kind of know what you're getting into know, it's an interesting conversation to have of course um i've had this uh this discussion myself many times like do, do programmers who work in weapon systems, can they really defend what they do? If you're working for a weapons company, you kind of know what you're doing. Um, but if you're interested in digging in, I recommend you read the full story. It's about a 20-minute read, so a little bit on the longer side. And there you can go and then have a bit of a follow-up, uh, listen to some of the Robocall and Call Center episodes on Reply All, which is a podcast I, I love listening to anyway. Music. That was my roundups of links for the week. I have quite a lot of travel coming up, so if you go to christianshiller.com slash events, you will find those. Beginning next week, I'm off to Sydney for EDCOM and then heading down to Melbourne just to catch up with friends and family and uh, home. So if you happen to be in Melbourne for any particular reason, we can also hang out. I have plenty of opportunities to hang out. Then I'm going to be in Hong Kong briefly. I'd love to meet tech people in Hong Kong, actually, at the uh, beginning of May. Once I get back, May is a very busy time. Uh, I have now added a date to. Uh, I'm going to be at Latitude 59 in uh, Tallinn, in Estonia, back in the startup capital of the Baltics. That will be interesting. Quite excited about that, and then many other events also coming up through to the beginning of June. So um, if you happen to be around Europe, then have a look at my events page, and you'll find uh, quite a lot of um, of places you we can we can meet up. Um, in the past week, we also put out a latest episode of the Write the Docs podcast where we spoke with Becky Todd about uh, career advancement as a technical writer, which was a good episode. And we got quite a lot of feedback. And also one of the co-hosts published our show numbers um, on the uh, – recently. Uh, it's on the Write the Docs Slack, so if you're not a member of that, then uh, I'm not entirely sure how you're going to see them. But uh, it was uh, interesting to see that we've got gathered quite a, a good listenership, actually, more than we expected um, a little bit up and down depending on topic, of course, but um, bigger than we expected and uh, we get very little feedback. This is often the thing you think that means no one's listening, but people are. So I hope you have enjoyed this show. If you are listening, please share, rate, review wherever you listen to the show. Please drop me a, a, a message if you any of the articles and topics tickled your opinion I don't know, I should have stopped long ago with that analogy. I'm not sure where I was going with that. You can find my contact details at chrischiller.com slash contact. Twitter is a good one, at chrischinch. And you can also support the show at slash support merchandise. I've got some new stickers coming out soon, so if you'd like some of those, uh, join my mailing list and I will send you some stickers soon. But in the meantime, as always, if you have been, thank you very much for listening.